Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Good morning, Good Gabbers. Today we have the pleasure of speaking to Dave Schaub, the Inland Northwest Land Conservancy Executive Director. Dave, happy to have you. Thanks so much, Steve. It's really a treat to be here. Um, so biking on the continental divide. Yeah. So we're talking like Montana, Butte, you know, I-90 where those rocks meet. Well, yeah, you don't really go exactly <laughs> over the pinnacle, but uh, yeah, that's the idea is that it's a route that travels as closely to the continental divide itself as possible uh, and remain passable to bikes. That's one of the coolest places I've seen, um, like geologically. That Pipestone Pass area? Yes. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, to see the where the rocks come together like that. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Just tells the story. Yeah, it's that also is one cool of my geography. favorite fishing lake, by the way, is just right at the little uh, stop there at the oh, top yeah. of I-90. Like, uh, I would just stop there, you know, throw Cast a few a line. casts. Right. Catch a few fish, throw them back, and yeah. then go on with my day. I've never fished there, but I've swum in that lake. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's good. I saw, are you from Montana? So you had a business in Montana. I did have a business in Montana. I actually grew up here in Spokane and left after I graduated from Lewis and Clark High School in 88 and really didn't plan on returning, but I did so in 2010 from Bozeman where my wife and I had, uh, had our kids and I had a green building materials business in Bozeman selling environmentally friendly and healthy building products. Cool. Like what? Oh, like low VOC paints yep. and sustainably harvested wood flooring and bamboo products and natural plasters and roofing made out of recycled metal and flooring made out of recycled tires, uh, a whole variety of products that we sold. Oh, actually, one of the products uh, we sold a lot of to um, the community building when it was getting built was this uh, denim insulation, recycled denim insulation from old blue jeans. That came from you. Yeah. I remember walking through that project and that being a highlight. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so we sold, uh, I think it was about two and a half truckloads of insulation to that project. That's a lot of recycled jeans. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Jim Sheehan was a good yeah. customer for us. That's cool. Yeah. I, I got into the... Um, that space but on the energy side of things oh, back in that would have been like 2006 or so started doing energy audits oh and working uh home small commercial yeah. business yeah and uh using you know like infrared cameras oh, yeah and blower door tests yeah I love that stuff. so i jumped into that world oh, here interesting. um that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah kind of uh, got that going. And yeah, wasn't there yeah. a nonprofit that were you part of the, uh, wasn't there a nonprofit that would come and do that, provide those services as an energy audit? Uh, yes, there was. And when that started is when my phone stopped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Cause I took advantage of the nonprofit services. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was building this business and that was one of my first like uh, real big business lessons. Yeah. I was uh, trying to bootstrap this thing and yeah. just kind of grow it up slowly and I didn't really realize about partnerships and mm -hmm. what big companies can do when they, you know, yeah. partner with utilities. Right, right. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, that one folded. But it was really fun to be in that business and to kind of like, you know, learn about conservation mm -hmm. and just some of the little things you can do to have a healthier building. Yeah. And yeah, it's without that much more cost. 
Well, that's really interesting because when, so I sold my business in 2010 when we left Bozeman and came to Spokane and I was really interested in the whole energy side. And, um, so it was pretty quickly after we arrived here that I found that energy audit program. And, um, not only was I captivated by the toys involved because they're super cool. Way cool. (laughs) Yeah. But it is really astonishing to realize the, um, just the amount of the number of leaks and the the volume that that represents in terms of like the equivalency of an open cavity in the wall of your house when you get that blower door test result yeah. back and it's like you know you have x square feet of open space throughout the house uh, that air is infiltrating and yeah, it's just you know there's so many ways in which we can improve our built environment that uh, I hope that effort is still underway or something like it is still in existence. Oh, I, I believe it is. Yeah. yeah. And just, you know, some of the energy codes that are coming out yeah. in Washington yeah. state. It's like some of my friends are in the building industry and they're like, Oh, this is just another thing we got to do, but we are making better buildings. That's right. When you can have a small space and light, you know, heat it with a candle. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, clearly that's the the future. Our future is high efficiency buildings. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm happy to see it coming. Yeah. So okay, you came back to Spokane, uh, say 2010. 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What drove that decision? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, if I can be totally honest, my wife never loved living in Bozeman. I mean, we it was very fun, but it just wasn't uh, where she wanted to spend out the rest of her life. She's a Seattle girl mm-hmm. and uh, her work is in international public health. And Bozeman is a small mountain town. Yeah. And that really fed my soul. I love, I'm very active outdoors as is she, but she wanted to be closer to her family, which is all in Seattle and closer to an international airport. And um, we, we came back to Spokane in, uh, I guess, oh nine and uh, attended a wedding in the fall and it was just glorious and we were we were driving back to bozeman and, and heidi my wife said what do you think about spokane should we consider spokane and my jaw just hit the floor because she was a seattle girl and proud of that and and uh, i never thought we'd end up back here but we did and um it's worked out great i sold my business moved to spokane we bought an old you know 109 year old farmhouse full of leaks yeah and uh on five acres and I became a stay-at-home dad and she spun up her work. Um, and I raised our two kids at home for the next six years. During that time, I got involved as a volunteer for the Dishman Hills Conservancy, which is a small local land trust focused on conserving the lands in the Dishman Hills and eventually became the president of the board. Uh, during that time, I became aware of the Inland Northwest Land Conservancy, and when their executive director job opened up, I threw my hat in the ring. I was ready to get back to work, and I'm delighted that I was hired, and I've been doing that since, well, for the last five and a half, six years. It's incredible. Well, what a, a natural progression. I mean, the Dishman Hills, everything that's happened there, it's cool, like all yeah. the connections that have been Absolutely. made now. and yeah. 
is it true that you can start in Dishman Hills and end up at the other side of Iller Creek? Well, you can if you're willing to do some trespassing. So it's not yet So we're open. close to That's connecting. Right. The connections are, will be made, but it, it's not a legitimate connection yet. But you can access Dishman now from uh, Glen Rose area. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so I live very close to the Glen Rose Trailhead, which is how I got to know the area and was involved in the protection and the additional public lands that have been brought into uh, conservation status up there. And I just got a real taste for um, the deep satisfaction that comes from, you know, getting a community involved in permanently protecting land. I can understand the allure. Yeah. I mean, we have such beautiful lands and having access and equal access. Yeah. I don't know if there's much better than that. Yeah, well, it's very unique, I think, for a community of our size to have so many um, uncrowded natural lands surrounding it. And I think it's something that many of us acknowledge and also many of us take for granted. Uh, when we look around the Spokane area, um, there's nothing but forested hills that you can see. And you realize that uh, in Spokane County, only about 9% of our lands are in a permanently protected status. So think about that. 91% of what we look at is privately Private. owned and subject to potential future conversion and development. And uh, by comparison, most Western states average around 30% okay. public land. So we've got We're a long way, way to go. way behind the eight ball. Yeah, we've got some work to do. And, but the community is rallying, and, and I think as our community grows, um, many people are becoming more and more aware of the urgency and the value and the benefit of conserved lands to our communities. Well, I, you certainly read about it a lot more, and there is an awareness, and it's a conversation that happens you know, around our dinner table. Yeah, good. And, yeah. yeah. And, well, tell us more about the land uh, conservancy. Like, yeah. What's that work look like? How does it come about? Uh, I don't think a lot of us know. Like we know we, we read a little yeah. bit, but we don't quite know how it all works. Yeah. So the organization was founded in 1991. It was a kitchen table uh, volunteer run organization until 96 when the board hired Chris DeForest, who was the first executive director, and he grew the organization slowly over years. And um, our work is really divided um, into two main groups. Uh, a large amount of our work is focused on the protection of private land. So there are legal, legal terms, legally binding agreements that we work out with private landowners to help permanently protect their land uh, from future subdivision and development. So these are like conservation easements? You got it, exactly. Like okay. Right, yeah. So a landowner can elect to uh, donate or sell a conservation easement to us. We hold those rights and we monitor them to make sure that they're being upheld. The land can be transferred to heirs. It can be sold. Um, it just can never be developed, uh, and, you know, um, counter to the terms of the conservation easement. So that's one set of our work is that private land protection. The other set of our work is our public land protection. And that's what we've really elevated in the last five years is um, working with parks and other agencies to acquire land that either go into their ownership for public access or that we manage for public access. And so we've had a number of successes uh, in recent years. The Rimrock to Riverside project, which is the sort of the western skyline um, 
Palisades Park, west of downtown. We've uh, acquired. If it, it wasn't so cloudy, I think yeah, we could be see looking it from right here, at it. right at exactly the Spokane right. Library. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that was a marvelous project. That's now land in uh, City Park's ownership, and it will help connect eventually once a bridge is built, uh, Palisades Park with Riverside State Park. Um, we also another uh, successful. Uh, public acquisition project was our Saltese Uplands edition. Uh, if you know the Saltese area, Saltese Uplands is a fabulous county conservation area that's just a beautiful uh, vista overlooking Liberty Lake and City of the Valley. Um, it's right on the crest, sort of uh, the northern flank of Micah Peak, and um, it overlooks the Saltese Flats, which uh, was farmed for about a century it's now being converted by our good friend rob Lindsay at spokane right. county uh, back into a natural wetland and um, so we were happy to participate in some work there to add another 55 acres to the saltese uplands conservation well, area what an incredible project you know I've, we were talking about you grew up here um, yeah so did i and i remember it as farmland like yeah when, you know, drive out there. And I just recently went out, uh, after talking with Rob, yeah. I was like, all right, I got to see your project. And wow. Isn't like, it great? Yes. Did you walk those trails? Uh, no, just briefly yeah. right off of, uh, the parking lot there, but I saw the new building getting put together yeah. and, uh, the Doris Morrison and learning center water. Yeah. Tons of water. Yes. And the, and the waterfowl have discovered it. So last spring, uh, the birders were estimating that more migratory waterfowl were coming through Saltese Flats than come through Turnbull Wildlife Refuge. And so our good friend Brian Walker oh. at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is now giving us grief about having He's stolen like, took all my birds. birds. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's that, sort of the classic, uh, you know, if you build it, they will come. Like, you know, the natural world is poised to recover when we give it space and a chance and we just help it along. And I think that's, frankly, I think that's the era that we're in is um, with all that we know that's going on in terms of uh, biodiversity collapse and climate change and the impacts of development. We're at a point in human history where it's kind of up to us to help nature get a footing, a foothold back. And, and we can do that and we can do it at the local level and at the international level. It's really deeply satisfying to be part of that effort in the community that I grew up in. Heck yeah. I'm of the mindset, you know, that even the big things, the national things, they all just start locally, right? Yeah. We got to yeah. show people how it's done. These pilot projects are just these groups. I mean, shoot, I didn't know 1991. That seems pretty recent for an organization as impactful as you are, but no, but that's recent. And like in a, in the conservancy, at least it feels like it to me, Mm -hmm. like that organization, like is, you know, it's a big deal in Spokane. Yeah. I thought it might've been around long before, Mm -hmm. you know, that, um, yeah, no, it's, that's an, it's just so exciting to, see if a Spokane as a community continues to protect these lands. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think we will, uh, we're poised this year to, um, hopefully protect an additional 7,000 acres of land in our region. We've got projects, uh, in partnership with national conservation organizations queued up for the coming years to add, hypothetically, an additional 33,000 acres of conserved land um, in and around Mount Spokane State Park. And so we're, we're certainly doing our best. Our community is rising to support our need 
by generously supporting us. You know, we're a 501c3 and we, uh, we, we exist off the, um, the generosity and the investment of our community and folks are rising to that challenge. And so we've grown our staff a lot. We're now, we have a staff of nine and we're, we're poised to add another one or two in the coming year. Awesome. And that's a, a tripling of where we were five years ago. So, so far it looks like people have a real appetite for and excitement to accelerate land conservation regionally. Okay. So that's all community support then. Yeah. These are donation driven. Donation driven. We get support from the state, county, and federal governments for some of the large acquisition projects that we do. But by and large, um, through individual contributions and local foundations, we're, you know, that's how we pay the bills. That makes me proud of our community that we really value this. Yeah. So you said earlier that like for a city of our size, this just isn't as important in other places, you know, conservancies. So this, your organization doesn't exist in, in other places. Oh, that's actually not the case. So (laughs) the land, so we are a land trust and, and the land trust movement is a uniquely American invention. And, um, tell us more. Yeah. So, uh, they were started on the East coast, uh, in the 1800s, um, as communities grew and they realized that the commons, you know, the, the spaces that, that, uh, the communities depended upon, um, for a whole lot of their resources and grazing um, and enjoyment were getting gobbled up. And so uh, they formed this legal system of the conservation easement, this tool, and started putting it to use throughout uh, the East Coast. And that movement has now spread across the country. And uh, so we're one of uh, well, we're part of the Washington, excuse me, the Washington Association of Land Trusts, and there are about 22 land trusts in Washington State alone. Um, our organization happens to have the largest geography. We serve the largest largest geography, that of uh, basically the five counties of eastern Washington and two counties of north Idaho. Um, there are land trusts that serve, like the Dishman Hills Conservancy, a very small and focused geography, and others like us that serve a broader geography. But there are land trusts all throughout the country. Um, our nearest neighbors are up in Sandpoint, um, the Kinixu Land Trust, and then down in Moscow, Idaho, the Palouse Land Trust. Okay. And so we have a great friendship and partnership with those organizations as well. Well, I love hearing that. So this is a movement. It is a movement. Oh. Yeah. And we, you know, we like to say you've seen one land trust and you've seen one land trust because we all do it slightly differently. Some have a real focus on preserving agricultural lands, others timberlands, some all private land, some more public land. It just depends on the community's needs and, and wants and pressures. And um, so our our niche is really in focusing on high value habitat land that provides clear community benefit. And so when we do a private land conservation project, we wanna make sure that we're protecting key habitat and that um, while that land will remain in private ownership, that it brings some clear community benefit. Maybe that's maybe that's a um, undeveloped view shed. Sure. Um, Maybe it's the headwaters of a creek that feeds the Spokane Valley Rathen Prairie Aquifer. Maybe it's the shoreline of a river or lake, um, something that people can see and or uh, appreciate from afar, even if they can't get onto the land directly. 
So yeah, it's not necessarily about access, but right. yeah, you can see benefit from lots of different ways. That's right. And then the other side of that is that we do work that does provide access like those that we've described. We're really proud of our Waikiki Springs Nature Preserve. That we got a lot of press, by the way, on that. Wasn't that great? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was like everyone was talking about it. There was a buzz. Yeah. And because it's cool. Yeah, it is super <laughs> cool. And we've got a great team. Carol Corbin is our communications director, and she's doing a great job of getting the word out. Um, and we just want to do more of that kind of work. I mean, that piece of property is so beautiful. I don't know if you've had a chance to go down there. Um, two summers ago, we had the real honor of um, working with the Spokane Tribe of Indians to release, um, what was it, 52 adult Chinook salmon into the little Spokane River. The first time in 111 years that salmon had swum in that in that river. And it was exactly, it was soul medicine. It was so moving. And there were tribal elders there who spoke of their grandparents harvesting fish from the river. And, um, and they were so proud to be part of returning fish after all these years. So that's the kind of work that we're looking to do more of where we can partner with our tribal neighbors, serve a community need, um, allow for ecological restoration and the repair of our relationship with the natural world. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so um, important. We, we've got this whole theory of how we can drive more conservation success. And one of the key pillars of that is our, is our work to connect people to the natural world. Kids, adults, a whole diverse range of audiences. Because as you know, we live in this world where it's very easy to be insulated from nature and natural right, systems. Right, screens. Yes, right. Four walls. Yeah, and we've got to break that habit at least for moments of our lives and, and reconnect with what's essential. And I couldn't agree more. I know from my own self, if I'm, if I'm not connecting with nature and truly in relationship with it, like I'm not distracted. Yeah. I'm just in it. Yeah. The sounds, the feelings, just the wind on your face. Yeah. Sound of water. Like that, you said heart medicine. Like I know that to be true for myself. Yeah, it's got to be true for many humans, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And there's like the intimate human connection. Well, we're <laughs> animals, like, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, we built this built yeah. environment, but it might not be natural, right? Yeah, right. Where do you go, Steve? When you well, go so out I and... live uh, just out off Clear Lake. Okay, um, and so I spend a lot of time on the BLM land. Um, out by Fish Trap, yeah, and uh, Hog Canyon yeah. and Hog Lake. Those, those are it's just easy. Yeah, so it's quick to get out there. Uh, Slavin, yeah, um, that's a great little refuge out there. And agreed. I, I hate to say this on this podcast, but my favorite favorite place is the Little Ponderé Game Refuge up north. Of oh, Smoke that's Cam. so great! You know, I've never yeah. stopped there. Actually, I've driven by it hundreds of times, but I've never stopped. It's so worthy. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many places to explore. And yeah. yeah. That's like, that's a magic spot. My family's been going up there for like four generations. Right on. And that's an interesting story in itself. It was a uh, state land mm -hmm. for a long time. Okay. And then the state was having budget cuts and they didn't know what to do with this land. And then the, the feds came in and like, okay, we'll take this over. And I remember my family being just so afraid, like what is going right, to happen Right, they're going to shut here? us out. Yeah. Yes. It's like, is it going to go to the timber, you know, companies? Is it going to mm -hmm. go to the ranchers? Right. I mean, we'd been going up there for, yeah, it was the fourth generation. And thankfully, they made it a refuge. That's great. Yes. And it was like, and they protected that land and that 
our story. Just we're just one family. Sure. But it gets to continue because now I get to take, you know, my kid up there and and talk about all the stories and, you know, the different, you know, train bridges that were here that are gone. And yeah, there's just magic in that. Love it. That's great. You mentioned mm. uh Fish Trap. We've got yeah. a project out there that's incubating, uh, that we really hope will see some movement in the coming months. But we're working with a family. Uh, who owns a piece that would actually, if we can acquire it, will provide connection between the BLM land around Fishtrap Lake and then that chunk that's farther to the north by Hog Canyon. Yes. Uh, and so you could actually connect through on that east side of Fishtrap Lake to get up to Hog Canyon. I, I can visualize it yeah. right now. Yeah. Well, so, I can't wait to hear more about right, that. Hopefully, exactly. Fingers crossed. We'll see. I was at a um, conference not too long ago and hosted by the Inovia Foundation. Yeah. And they were just talking about this, you know, giant transfer of wealth that's going to yeah. happen in, over the next couple decades. Mm-hmm. And I imagine there's an opportunity of a transfer of lands, too. And through this, you know, conservation easement, yeah. you know, mechanism for people to preserve this land. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're doing as much outreach and communication about that as we can. Uh, You're right. And uh, about this being a moment in time when um, perhaps the largest transfer of wealth has ever occurred or is about to occur. Uh, And obviously that will include land. So we're reaching out to landowners to educate them about what they can do to um, protect the land so that if they want to pass it along to their heirs, that it may remain in an undeveloped natural state, or, or even if it's a current working farm or, or timber uh, working forest, um, we work with those two in our easements. Um, we're also trying to get the word out for people that are doing estate planning. Our work is, we think, especially uh, relevant to people who are making their legacy giving plans because it's permanent. Yeah, it And is. so when we protect a piece of land, we make a permanent commitment to steward that land forever. And um, that's a message that resonates with folks that are looking to make uh, decisions about the, the the investment of their you know accumulated wealth or a portion of their wealth at the end of their life that permanence really resonates. So yes, we're looking to to uh, educate landowners about how they can uh, protect their land through easements as well as make gifts to our endowment or our other funds to support the the permanent stewardship of those lands. Well, I'm really happy you're here to be able to share that message with our listeners. It's a uh... You heard it here, folks. It's uh, you can names on buildings change. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the land does not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> it's a great opportunity to talk about our work, and um, so we are. Uh, you know, as I've mentioned, five hundred one c three. Our website is www.inlandnwland.org, and folks can learn about us, uh, watch inspiring videos, make gifts. Um, we're always eager to uh, learn about people's own personal connections to this area and what their vision is for its protection. Um, we, we don't claim to have all the answers by any means. We're, we're always ears to the tracks as to what our community values and, and hopes for out of our future. Well, I'm so happy this work is happening. And I think our listeners, we'd be a- interested in like your connection to the land like um you said you you know you live for the outdoors like how do you experience the outdoors are you and your family yeah thanks for asking that um 
I'm really lucky to have grown up here in Spokane uh, in a family that valued getting outside together. It sounds like you did and and still do with your own family. I I grew up um, in a house on a pond, and my brother and sister and I were always mucking around in the pond, fishing uh, in the summer, trying to trap bullfrogs, uh, and ice skating in the winter. And it was just a life that I took for granted, frankly, of, of being able to be comfortable outdoors all the time. And and I felt very fortunate later in my life when I realized that that was a unique experience for, you know, in comparison to some, um, we also skied and backpacked. I was a boy scout. And, uh, so did a lot of backpacking, very active troop, uh, canoe camping, um, and, uh, and, and that just carried through into my young adulthood. After I graduated from college, I set out with a college buddy to hike the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. Really? Yeah. Which, uh, we did in, in 94. What? You made it? We made it. Yeah. All six right. months, six months to the day. It was a long walk. Um, and that, that, that really shaped my life. Frankly, it, um, you know, I, I learned, skills of self-sufficiency. I learned about how small we are in the world. Um, I learned the joy of, uh, carrying all that I needed on my back and, uh, just living lightly on the land. I also learned of the, the majesty of, um, of, of the mountains and forests and rivers and lakes of the West. I mean, I'd seen that growing up, but going, walking from Mexico to Canada, through basically uninterrupted uh, wildland was was really eye opening, um, and and we we walked through a lot of um, highly impacted land too, and that was sobering as well. Um, but I learned a lot about my own resilience, the resilience of the natural world, the resilience of friendships, uh, and my yeah, and that my can be needs. tested on <laughs> yeah. yeah. As How long was. is it? Twelve hundred miles or something? Yeah, crazy? exactly. Twelve hundred and sixty yeah. miles. Uh, what, what am I saying? 2650, 2,650 miles. Okay. Yeah, that's a long, yeah, there's a lot of walking. <laughs> um, yeah. So then I, um, I just continued to be active outdoors, have raised my kids outdoors. My wife and I, uh, spend as much time out in the snow and on water as we can. And, um, but on a daily basis, I connect with nature by walking my dog out in the Dishman Hills by gardening, um, by just looking around. I mean, we are surrounded in this part of the world by a lot of beauty. Yeah, we Water, are. woods, fields, uh, and um, increasingly I'm just trying to take in sort of the simple moments and not feel like you got to plan something big to connect with nature, but just take a breath and... There's an evolution in that as, you know, we get older, right? I think so. Yeah. Like to truly appreciate those little moments. Is it evolution or devolution? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a little both. Yeah. Yeah, that D. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But I'm appreciative of it. I know that. Yeah, yes. me too. It's like, okay, I can smile. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dave, it just we, we really appreciate getting to know you, getting to know uh, the Land Conservancy. Um, anything uh, you would like to you know, let our listeners know about, or it's on your mind as we kind of, you know, wrap up our conversation today. Well, just that 
you know, we want people to know we're here and we're working for you, for our community, uh, for the natural world, for the human and non-human community members all around us. We, as we discussed, we're really trying to lean into um, building relationships with our tribal neighbors to help advance their conservation goals, um, to learn more about those and approach that work with humility. We're looking to do the same with a whole range of communities that have been underserved perhaps by the, the land trust or the conservation movement in our country. And, um, so we're, our doors are open, our lines of communication are open. And if you have, um, passion for the natural world, whether it's through direct involvement, uh, by getting out on the land or just looking at it and appreciating it, we'd love to hear from members of our community as to, as to what they hope the vision for our future is with regard to, to natural lands. We're doing great work and look forward to doing more of it. So thanks for helping us spread the word and um, thank you for your enthusiasm and, and for sharing some of your personal passion for connecting with nature. Totally. It's our pleasure. Thanks for being here, Dave. Just yeah. Incredible work, everybody. Let's get involved. Everybody is right. It is a team effort. <laughs>